0: on YouTube. Hooray. We're, for we're, now, for today. Is that a good thing? Is it a good thing that we're back on YouTube? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I, yeah, really don't care. Well, we do care, though. Do we? A little bit?
1: Only in the sense that it gives us a bit of a challenge.
0: Yeah. But whatever. It shouldn't be too hard for people to figure out, like, it shouldn't be too hard yeah. for us to stay within the limits, the rather extreme limits imposed by YouTube on what you can and can't say. Uh, but it's yeah, a, but you but don't know
1: where those limits are. Well, Because like I, like I said, the last show, uh, Russell Brand can say exactly the same things, but the limits are Different, carved yeah. around him because of the size of his audience. Okay.
0: Uh, see? Strictly. So it depends on the person.
1: Yeah, I would just caveat everything with, we fully agree with 100% with everything the authorities say on it. And then... You know, which, to the, which, just, just, just say the news. What's the latest study or what's the latest news? It sounds
0: farcical, though. Yes,
1: but we live in farcical times. Everything's farcical.
0: I mean, I don't think anybody, even YouTube wouldn't expect everybody to agree with everything the authorities say, right?
1: That's literally what their their line says. It says medical misinformation category. Okay, and then the explanation of that is anything that may sound like it may contravene the advice of the health authorities, and they give two examples, one, the American one, the CDC, and the other, the World Health Organization, international, the UN body, mm. will be next, or will be taken off. future. It will be a strike. That may sound like, I mean, Jesus Christ, that's, it's,
2: you can't.
1: if we just say, okay, so here's a news item from NBC News. It says here on NBC News the latest about the jabby jabby. Mm. I didn't even. I don't even. I don't even want to say it for fear of alerting mm. the AI. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that if, I suppose if our opinion is anything less than oh, well, that's interesting. What's the what's the name of that? Um, uh, the English guy X NHS uh, Doctor John Campbell. Was, yeah. Campbell. He wasn't a doctor, but he was a senior nurse. Um, yeah, I mean, his content is leading to the same. He himself is articulating the same conclusions, and he's meticulous in which state he he's selecting. He had one video removed, though. Did he? Yeah. He had one. Okay. Yeah. Still, though, every at this point, every other video he's coming with the latest data he's using from ONS or whoever is coming to the same and extra book conclusion that we just stated outright. I don't think it's de- <laughs> I don't
0: think it's details that they that they care about. It's more about your your attitude. You, oh, well, if you if if your uh, it's your attitude that they the attitude that they get from the like individuals like you and me basically who are who are who are speaking publicly, let's say, uh, if they get the wrong feel from us, but you're assuming a
1: person is actually watching our videos. Does. I think it is. I think Scott has explained to us it's most likely but again, an AI. But how do you explain it's that? a bot with, that's just triggered but how by the word. Explain,
0: how do you explain the Russell Brand thing then? By that? A bot should cancel I think him too.
1: They actively remove it because of the size of his audience so that when he mentions any of the words connected with that incident two years ago or that global event, then the normal controls are, are no longer on his channel, so to speak. Mm. So there isn't a bot that goes, oh, he just said one of the words.
2: Mm.
1: I it's think like if it he doesn't it, get we just say the word... Mm. I don't think anyone's actually watching our channel and going, I don't like the political attitude of these guys.
0: Really? So, But that would suggest that then every...
1: I am surprised though. Uh, although, uh, but so how do they
0: make that determination even with, with... Maybe AI is very advanced, whatever. But That would suggest that a lot of channels out there are all getting either their videos deleted or getting banned completely because a lot of them are all saying those words, right, that are getting flagged. And then you know, what I mean, I don't understand the process. I can understand how AI or some some kind of algorithm would would flag would flag words, right? But then, how does it decide whether those the context in which those words were being used? Do you know what I mean? I oh, mean, it's it's machine learning. Is it is it that advanced?
3: Yeah, it's like it's like they, you know, it's kind of like this thing where the what was it called? I can't remember the name. It Google's Google's supposed AI that the guy got fired because he said it was sentient. Yeah and like all it does is it goes and it scans all the words and phrases everywhere and like it you know like machine learning can un- it can understand context on the like some when criteria like, it's kind of like like a i guess like an analogy or another example would be uh, like if you use google translator deepl mm. like some of them are better than others but basically like it it understands the context of certain words so mm. like it'll adjust the spelling or adjust and the grammar better and better all the and time and it's getting better and yeah. better so what they've like you know, it seems to me anyway that what they're doing is they're applying their best and brightest to the algorithm, which is actually—it's even factoring in like, oh, it's Russell Brand; he's super famous, and he brings us a lot of money because we get to show lots of ads and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So, right, we, he's allowed to say stuff that, or you know, right. oh, Joe Rogan—he was offered we, you know a hundred million by Spotify, so we'll let him get away with saying stuff right. that, like. Newsreel with Joe and Neil can 't say because and that 's actually built into the because youtube doesn 't make a lot of money, they actually are like kind of like a money pit that sucks income from Google, which makes sense because when you have sixty three years of video uploaded every day that 's a lot of servers and yeah. bandwidth and you know all that kind of stuff, so I think it's all just it's, uh, the, the i don 't think any human ever touches it
0: <laughs> well i think I think there's probably assessments made on on people like Russell brand and stuff uh, people with a lot of lot of uh Subscribers, that it would look bad for YouTube. They don't want the yeah. necessarily the public fallout from you know being pitched as censoring. You know what I mean? They would have a lot of people, a lot of those subscribers would complain. And would you know what I mean? There's probably that a- element to it as well in terms of their 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 own public image, uh, where they can get away with deleting uh, smaller channels like ours and nobody cares, or oh, there's not enough people who care. Uh, whereas Bigger ones, people will care. So there must be some level of actual human oversight at some level on that on that point, like mm. of Russell Brand. Someone yeah. must decide remove those yeah. strictures on on Brand's channel because he has so many subscribers. Probably. So it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a nexus of AI and RI, real intelligence, but it's not real intelligence. It's yeah. AI and SI, re, artificial intelligence and stupid intelligence, which is the human beings that YouTube.
1: Well, yeah. Did that get us yes and no, but
0: you like to criticize YouTube and not get banned.
1: They anyway. they came in with a sword, all of them, at various points, but only a few real points from 2016 to six years later today, mm. um, and just demonetized on mass, banned some on mass. Mm. Uh, the main method they used was to massively reduce visibility and interconnectivity using various metrics of most. And we know they did that. They they said they did that. They had psycho, what do they call, psychographic maps mm-hmm. of the worst disinformation sites. And South.net, although it isn't a big player at all, was still popped up routinely in both British and American uh, government backed studies in quotes some of them academic papers that produced these maps that were then put all over the mainstream media and they made lists was oh, a bit Russian and then distance. they just had to go to about a hundred sites and mm. reduce it we've seen it on Facebook where our, the, the, the count of likes for support page of Sot.net reached stopped. an upper limit and just stopped right. was reduced a little here and there but it just stopped yeah. <laughs> I mean that's it's like break same yeah. thing on YouTube go on YouTube type in anything doesn't matter if you're looking for something quite specific or old or definitely in the conspiracy field, you know. The first hundred, you can scroll all the way down. They're all mainstream reports. They, they, and they've since talked about that, that they explicitly made that a policy. You will only get partners uh, at the high visibility, at the, at the point of the first return of searches. Right. It doesn't matter what your subject matter is, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, on that point, I mean, it's not just talking about Facebook and, and it's not just, obviously, YouTube, uh, these kind of platforms. Uh, just to throw up one up there, Scotty, this is from a couple of days ago from the BBC. Uh, the BBC is kind of uh, not in the headline, but they're tooting, tooting their own horn, basically, for engaging in censorship. This is uh, anti-vax groups use carrot emojis to hide Facebook posts. That's the title. So there's anti-vax groups on Facebook um, who, as this title says, we're using carrot emojis as, instead of to refer to... Uh, the COVID vaccine and uh, they were getting away because uh, they were hiding, hiding you know, reference the word vaccine f- by using this carrot emoji uh, from automated moderation tools and the BBC has seen several groups one with hundreds of thousands of members in which the emoji appears in the place of the word vaccine uh, Facebook's <laughs> algorithms tend to focus on words rather than images uh, and the groups are being used to share unverified claims of people being either injured or killed by vaccines. Now, once the BBC alerted Facebook's parent company, Meta, the groups were removed. So the BBC, doing their civic duty, got in there to stop. And some of them were like a quarter of a million people. So you have a quarter of a million people on there yeah. who are either interested or directly uh, directly involved in a personal you know, testimony, well, personal were, testimony, Yeah, because they experience. knew people who were either affected, new people or, or, they by thems- the carrot. or they themselves were affected by the carrot and uh, negatively affected by the carrot, let's say, and uh, they wanted to talk about it on Facebook and BBC uh, went and did Facebook's, I suppose, did a lot of Facebook's work for it, I suppose, because Facebook is supposedly meant to be policing this evil content of people talking about something uh, that uh, isn't allowed to be talked about. Uh, but they obviously weren't doing a good enough job, so the BBC had to come in and do its own research and then say, hey, Facebook, you got some disinfo this this on your is, channel there. This, is, the, this wanna... is
1: how the whole structure is now. The mainstream, in conjunction with uh, think tanks, are alerting social media platforms. No, it means they're policing them, and of course the social media platforms bend over to them every time. Mm. The BBC obviously is more state-owned, but it doesn't matter. Private or state-owned, these days they all get their money, bulk of their money from the government. They don't even get it from advertising anymore. Mm. It's straight government money. These are hundred percent in the classical sense of the term fascist, corporate and state merger controlled organizations. Mm-hmm. so that, that, or that type of thing that snitching is going on you know it's happened hundreds of times in the last six years it's now well, Jesus, I mean it 's a good chunk of the actual content of news reporting yeah, yeah it's, well it's prob- news reporting is reporting back to people what people themselves already know because they're talking about it with their friends, Mm. (laughs) friends on social media. Here, people, here's the news. The news is what you're talking about is banned. That's basically
0: you're not allowed. You're today. not allowed to think about that, basically. No. Don't talk about that with your friends. To parents.
1: think about it is to be uh, a dissident. To be a dissident is to risk losing your credit or your, some, your standing s- in the
0: community. I saw some snippets from a popular UK soap, Coronation Street, uh, where people were saying that they were uh, an, an episode of Coronation Street, which is a soap opera, a UK soap opera that's been running for like 40 years or something. And uh, they had a segment on it where two of the characters in the soap opera were talking about uh, conspiracy theories and one of them was kind of like, kind of going, yeah, I kind of like it, but a bit of conspiracy theory. Nah, you know, and the other one was like, is that really bad? You shouldn't do that. You know, you're just, you know what I mean? So it's almost like they're trying to get that, either either they're doing it unconscious, on purpose or it's just part of the dominant discourse, discourse now where it's inserted into soap operas where, uh, quote-unquote, conspiracy theory is... Uh, is taboo basically, and young kids, young people, teenagers shouldn't be talking about any kind, of anything that's called a conspiracy theory. I'm, I'm about.
1: pretty sure it's done deliberately. Yeah, that's not just well, work th- of the social
0: fabric? I think that's well, is that government advisor telling the producers course, of those long-running, those long-running shows are? Yeah. So does that mean we can't talk about anything about about the uh, vaccines? Well, what
1: or? else do you want to say? Haven't.
0: No, I mean, but can I, not, can I provide any, 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 updated, any updated information about uh, stuff like that? No,
1: you can if you want. But uh, no by YouTube, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> go for it. I don't care, really. I don't. Uh, but if you want to, I mean, if you want to have a stab at just reporting what's being reported mm. elsewhere, go for it. And I'll just you know nod and uh, well. Before well, you do, we, we do want to say but the topic. The main topic I think we we'll want to get into is the, the SCO Summit in Central Asia this week and all the flare-ups uh, of border wars mm. of a whole bunch of countries across the region. So we, we will be getting into that. But okay.
0: We'll get the suspect stuff out of the way first. Okay. Okay. So the first thing I noticed was uh, there's an ad, um, an American ad. This is it, for um, myocarditis in children. It's a new thing. I suppose because I've never seen an ad. I don't. I'm not aware of there being ads before. For you know, warning children about uh, myocarditis. Anyway, just play it there.
2: I've been into fashion since I can remember, but one day I had a stomachache so bad I didn't want to do anything. The team at New York Presbyterian said it was actually my heart. It was severely swollen. Something called myocarditis. But doctors gave me medicines and used machines to control my heartbeat. They've saved me. So now I can become the next great fashion designer. There
0: you go, stay amazing. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, the reason that <coughs> kind of stood out for me is, I mean, I think it's, it's is it fair to say that there is some... And by fair, I mean, are we allowed to say that that there is some evidence that in some cases, um, both COVID and the carrot can cause myocarditis in some people?
1: Sounds fair to me, but I'll just email my contact here at YouTube. Um, uh, YouTube says no, no, no.
0: Okay, well, I'll retract that statement then. Um, so I pretend I didn't say that. Um, there's also another one that that jumped out was uh, this is from the British Heart Foundation. Um, so this is the other side of the Atlantic, and um, it's kind of weird. I'm not really sure what they're trying to say, but well, you'll see for yourself. I'm dead. Okay, now you can have a great first day. I promise. All right in that notice. He was a
3: scientific hypothesis. He was a groundbreaking innovation. <laughs> and the future breakthrough that could cure her is closer than ever. With our research, we can keep saving lives like hers. Donate now to turn science fiction into reality.
0: So it seems like it's a. Creepy. It's, it's the British Heart Foundation. That's the YouTube channel, the British Heart Foundation. And I mean, it's obviously talking in general about heart problems, I suppose, among obviously young people. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting that they showed, you know, the, the girl playing soccer and, and, and falling, because that is something that people have noticed that there appears to have been a. Larger than normal number of people over the past year or so, eighteen months. Uh, sports people people playing sports, high-level mm. sports, uh, collapsing, uh, and, and quite a few of them actually dying. Not all of them, but some of them dying. Some of them just collapsing on on the pitch and stuff um, on whatever whatever sport they were playing. Um, most notable, let's say, in for example, in football, soccer, because there's a lot of people play soccer, particularly in Europe, and um, more people in Europe. Um, than there is in the US and also was, and was that a f- basketball.
1: I'm sure they fact-checked that. So do they do like comparative, is there any way to aggregate data going back decades? Ideally? Well, now
0: you're getting yourself in trouble though. You, oh, Jesus you
1: Christ. Well, you're suggesting that this is an interesting, uh, an unusual thing. Mm.
0: So Just drawing a correlation and wondering if there's any connection, you know. Uh, but, uh, well, this, this actually is, there is, there are, people have, uh, have put together i mean there is data uh, if you just throw that one up there this is from uh, real science it's a online journal um and um now the title there you know maybe that's a bit too you know matter of fact in a certain sense but anyway in the past 18 months or so there's been 1350 recorded athletic cardiac arrests and uh, serious issues, serious heart issues and 919 of them have died uh, if you just scroll down to prior year data um, so the International Olympic Committee in Lausanne Lausanne in Switzerland studied documents from uh, 1966 to 2004 and they indicated 1,101 sudden deaths in athletes under 35 years of age which was an average of, that's over that period of time so an average of 25 athletes per year Then you had it from 1980... 29, okay. Sorry, 29. So from 1980 to 2006, you had 1866 deaths, uh, similar deaths of athletes, um, and that's uh, 66 per year. Um, Oh, sorry. uh, I don't know how many that is per year. That's something like maybe 40 or so per year. But anyway, from 2005 to 2006, there were 66 deaths per year. Uh, So basically not a lot um back years ago it's increased over the years from nineteen, nineteen sixty six 1966 so mm-hmm. today it's been <coughs> increasing but still it's the in population the population has increased of course yeah so it's been um but it's still in the it's double digits basically you know uh over that period of time from say you know the the 20s to 40s to the 66 let's say from in in the from two thousand five to two thousand six over those two years, it so sixty six per year. Um, but uh, in the past eighteen months, um, you've had uh, over a thousand. So that's all I have to say about. Uh, uh, and this is in the, in the US, no, globally, globally, globally. It's just in terms of recorded. Uh, of course, it, there's not a lot of the, you know the, the collecting of data on on athletes is you know it's been done. Kind of, uh, there's no. I don't think there's any official studies on it. Let's say, but I think everybody who has been paying attention probably would agree. Wouldn't be surprised to hear that there has been an uptick in athletes uh, having heart issues or dying on on the pitch. It's, it 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 was quite prominent there. Of course, it wasn't talked about. There's no. I don't think there's any official scientific studies have been done on it, etc., etc. Except for 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 this collection of data, basically. So. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Moving on, <coughs> I'm not drawing any conclusions whatsoever.
1: Okay, um, the Queen. Oh, the Queen is she still dead? I she just is. wanted to check because something you never know these days—fake news, real news. Sometimes there have been many instances in the past where
0: there are fake news headlines, you know. Yeah,
1: so and so has died. No. Really and then everyone shares it, and then everyone gets scolded for spreading fake news. Right. It's,
0: not, no, oh, it's, a second. <laughs> it's not disinformation. It's been going on for quite a long time, and it has dominated. I mean, I suppose if you're, if you're not in the Anglosphere, you're probably not getting so much of it, or, or if, you, if you don't kind of speak and read English, you're not getting so much of it, but if you, any of the English broadsheets, basically the BBC, Guardian, the Telegraph, the, the, the Times, etc., it's just been wall to wall for the past 10 days, <clears throat> almost 10 days. When did she die? yeah, pretty much past the t- 10 days. Uh, it's the 18th today. So, um, and then tomorrow she's being buried. and uh, I think that'll put an end to it, more or less. Although there'll be some, they'll drag it out a little bit for a few more days. I suppose. Oh, they'll drag it
1: out. All the way to next year when the coronation happens.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully there'll be a lull in between. <laughs> uh, but uh, it really has been wall to wall on the English press. Uh, just Their websites are just blanketed, as are their actual physical papers. Uh, the headlines... Completely dominated by all the goings on amongst the royal family and intrigue, and you know, but everything you could possibly get out of it has been is being dragged out of it. Does it surprise you? It does actually surprise me. This, is, surpri- this well, is the British Queen we're talking about. I know, but a, she a million, is supposedly a the goddess past, She's in been manifest
1: lions. for them. Well,
0: well, for who? But how many? That's the thing. What the question? That I mean, I have no problem with it, right? For the people who have a kind of a hero in that sense or someone who's symbolically very important to them who dies and they 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 make a big deal of of the the funeral and all that kind of stuff um but she's been lying in state for the past three days and um lying in a state lying in a state not a very good state uh for the past three days Uh, and i
1: i got conspiracy chatter that that's not really her in the box
0: who is it Diana. That's just rubbish, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Probably.
1: No, well, the idea was that it was empty and that is oh, for reasons of safety, public safety, uh, because well, somebody uh, grabs security,
0: it yeah, grabs her, desecrates, just something awful. I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But, right. uh, yeah, I mean, I think they had, there was one guy there a couple of days ago who tried to, who, who kind of rushed towards the coffin and the, yeah. the cops took him down. Yeah, um, he was. I think he was just very emotional and wanted to get a bit closer. Anyway, um, she's been landing state for three days and a million people apparently have filed past, some of them waiting a lot of them waiting for, you know, hours and hours, like up to twelve hours in, in a line and t- to just file past the coffin in this in this cathedral. Hmm. Um and to Saint Paul's Westminster. Yeah, I don't, can't remember exactly what it's called, but anyway. Um the thing is one million people out of well there's sixty six about sixty five, sixty six million people in the UK. Um, you know. Sixty, seventy 70% of those adults, so say 40 million, 40 million people, uh, only 1 million of them actually bothered to go and view the coffin. So it's quite a small percentage. What does that say about the rest of them, that they don't really care very much? They're oh, that's sad, the Queen died, but she had a good run in, she was 96. God love her, rest in peace. That's Charlie, he'll be the problem. Anyway, moving on, right? But no, we're not moving on, it's 10 days of, you know, of, of really projecting it and promoting it to the population. as Like this guy, the Speaker of the House, Lindsay, uh, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, he's the Speaker of the House of Commons, so it's a fairly high-level position. In the, Like Pelosi, I suppose. He's kind of like Pelosi, yeah. Uh, he, I suppose, summed up the attitude of that demographic, of the political elite, essentially, and politicians and, and those kind of people by saying this.
3: We should not allow anything to overshadow the most important event the world will ever see, And that's the funeral of a Majesty, and the passing of a Majesty.
0: Her Majesty. Yeah. So the most important event the world will ever see, according to him. Yeah. And I suppose that means has ever seen, and will ever see into the future. More important than JC. Oh yeah. He's
1: fictional, but whatever. You know, to a lot of people, well, everything,
0: no matter what you can think of, it's the (laughs) the most important event in the history of the world. So I don't know. I suppose it's. It's an opportunity for uh, the British state to promote itself effectively and its its awesomeness and, you know, the awesomeness of its of its monarch and by implication the awesomeness of its parliament that's appointed by her and to a certain extent the awesomeness of its culture and its people, right? It's, it's, a, it's a... And the, it's an advertising, the order disorder it created. Yes, it's an advertising opportunity, absolutely. Now whether the advertisement actually matches the you know, the reality of, of the British state and, you know, British culture and the British people and stuff. Jordan Peterson is a, is quite a fan of, of of the English, you know, and I think that's something particularly, particular to him almost, but also particular to a lot of Canadians. One of his, you know, uh, personality type, let's say, that there's a... In a lot of the Commonwealth, like Australia, maybe not partly in Australia, New Zealand and Canada and other Commonwealth countries... They almost feel... Northern like, Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. They feel that that they're second class in a certain sense, that they're the offshoots of something great of this, th- that they owe their existence. Oh, they do? Yeah. To the <laughs> so everything great that they have, everything awesome about their, their lifestyle and their culture and their society it, is owed. It, let's go back to the the, the hallowed, uh, you know, the, the holiest of holies where it all began type thing. There's this attitude, it seems, in, in a lot of people like that who have never haven't spent much time in the UK for most of their lives have no real, you know, awareness of they don't they don't know Englishness, let's say, up close and personal. They have a very nostalgic it's it's also in America a lot in a certain sense, you know, uh, the, the, the Americans, a lot of Americans, maybe mostly conservative types, have this kind of nostalgic idealistic view of England, um Englishness, Big Ben, black Bee feeders, black taxi cabs, uh, and the Queen, and yeah. English country gardens. That's only one level to it, though. But I think that's the level that most of them operate at. Uh,
1: mm, there's another one, though. Even the ones that are, no, 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 I'm <coughs> Republican, anti Even I'm even anti-Empire, mm. um, still don't quite realize the extent to which their secular the, just the very outlook of, of the world if they see the, if they see the West as the best if or maybe they don 't even just they just see the anglophone the Anglosphere in general as the world, the international community that is a product of Britishism in mm-hmm. more general terms mm-hmm. um, Yeah. you know it, it goes Britain is the fount of liberalism. Yeah. Philosophically, spiritually, oh. I'm talking on the secular plane. Never mind uh, whether or not they're actually in for of liberalism, you know, the queen and the pomp and circumstance of <coughs> it's the, the actual of, monarchy.
0: It's a fount of liberalism. Yeah, to these people yeah. Uh, parliamentary
1: democracy, okay. two sides facing off, one party, two party vote. Right, it's Britain.
0: But how can you be so enamored with the, with a the monarch then? Which is really the opposite of that, or at least uh, traditionally was the opposite of that. It's, like it's it's kind of dictatorial rule, albeit divinely ordained a dictatorial rule right you can't be a f- you can 't be a fan of it's complex. liberal democracies always oh,
1: complex. because British parliamentary democracy is a product of Britain yeah and its constitutional monarchy is wrapped up in that system mm. i mean when the United States breaks free for independence supposedly mm. from the king of Britain, it sets up a Parliamentary democracy,
0: uh, France too the Republic. It's Independence all... from the king. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, glorify a monarch. You know, you shouldn't be so enamored with monarchy, right? Right,
1: but then look what's happened—the special
0: relationship, Anglo-American, everything.
1: Our closest ally. Mm. Uh, who's leading? Who there? It's not always clear. Materially, it's obvious. The America is definitely the top dog, and you know, from Tony Blair being. Uh, lampooned as bush 's poodle we 've always in a modern time mm. b- recent decades seen Britain as airstrip one, as Orwell put it, the understudy to or oh, the American foothold in europe yeah. that 's on a material level, yeah, but the uh, the ideological there's something there 's something much bigger like, everything everything the, the, the tenets of science. The first, and the first papers that said smoking tobacco would kill you, that was all British science. Mm-hmm. The first papers that switched um, conservation of environment, the original Green Movement, into CO2 is killing us all. Was British, mm. from start to finish. I think yeah. Yeah. so. There's, there's a lot more than
0: I think. It's just it just it's just a it's an appeal to, or it's it's appealing to a lot of people because it's something higher than themselves. It's almost like it takes the place of God. Or it's the transcendent. I mean, yeah. the queen, Even when the queen you take what I'm saying,
1: even when you take it to the monarchy, the secular scientific mm. one is still there as
0: well. Absolutely. Just look at look at this. For example, uh, this is this is from the it's a it's a think tank in the UK called the Resolution Foundation, and they're Their their mission is 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 to is that they're working to improve the lives of people and low to middle incomes in the UK, right? So for low income families, right? But they say that not only is you know don't forget the fact that as awesome as the Queen is, and she's she should be celebrated. There's a big benefit to her to having the Queen or Queen Elizabeth in particular is that she oversaw the fastest economic growth of any monarch in her past and very possibly her future too. So they're correlating the existence of QE2, of Elizabeth, with the fastest economic growth of any uh, in, in the UK's history. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a group that is trying to improve the welfare of low-income families. And they're ascribing...
1: Monarch, <coughs> a good monarch as cause, as benefactor for ordinary Britons.
0: Yeah, yeah but also as, as the as a source of economic prosperity. But it's interesting to note the
1: correlation. I know that what that means. But does it mean, because they say QE2, right?
0: <coughs> right? Does that mean though, that now that she's gone, it's going to fall off a cliff? Uh, it I may happen that way. I think so. <laughs> but there may not be a correlation. Or a very mm. fa- a very abstract correlation. Let's say,
1: but it, it, yeah, if that it's happens, it's, it's interesting. I mean,
0: it'll imagine this time next year, the UK is in a, in a serious recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people will be feeling fully justified in saying, "See, we told you."
2: Mm.
0: Is there any truth to it? Probably not. Don't know. If there is, it's not there's It's not. There's not a direct correlation. Let's say mm. it's very indirect. Um, but not everybody's happy about the Queen. Um, Queen dying. As you, uh, as you may know, I mean um, I mean, you're not or not everybody's unhappy about the Queen dying sorry. I mean some people are at l- at the very least ambivalent. Uh, there's a Scottish football team with a long history um, they're called uh, Celtic um, they're basically they're, repre- they're representatives let's say of Scottish and Irish Catholic working class families, let's say, and that's their whole history. Uh, and there was a minute; <laughs> they were playing a match. They're in the Premier League, basically in Scotland, and they were they were playing a, a match. And uh, and there was, I think, they might have been against again whatever other team they're playing against. And there was a, a, a minute's applause was scheduled at the beginning of the match uh, for the royal family. And the, so the just played there. The Celtic supporters decided to do this. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Did this as Because well. <laughs> everybody else apart from them were clapping their hands at the one one minute applause. Right, right. But they were <laughs> joining everybody who was clapping their hands and said, if you are doing this, So it was kind of very naughty. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean I, I don't I wouldn't be on the side of the extreme anarcho anarcho-communist types who would, you know, like, you know, hit the royal family and think it should be brought down and they're evil, corrupt parasites in society and it should never never have existed, etc. Because, like I said, I think it symbolically, any monarchy, but particularly in the UK, takes, you know, represents something transcendent effectively at a deeper psychological level uh, for many people, for the people who are, who, are, who are drawn to it in that way. And uh, I wouldn't deny anybody that, basically. I, I think that's better than nothing. Better than having no, uh, no vision or idea of the transcendent. Let's say, however you get it, um, as long as it's transcendent and bigger than you, better than you, you know, more noble than you, uh, better in all the positive ways. Not just as in richer or something, but mm-hmm. that's actually part of it as well. They're actually meant to be. They're meant to be better than you in every way, which includes uh, financially. Let's say that's why it's fine. It's allowed for the, the royal family to have you know, access to large, large amounts of money because, well, God has a lot of money, right? Anyway. Um,
1: yeah, I, th- well, I flirt with the idea that monarchy should make a comeback
0: big time everywhere. Yeah. Depends which type, I suppose, though.
1: But just uh, in the broader sense, if you look at the most stable periods for either countries, empires, or regions, whatever, they, they do, over a broad sweep of history, correlate with um, long-lasting monarchs.
2: What does? Peace and prosperity, right. basically. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's true in, in Russia, as it is in Western Europe mm-hmm. and elsewhere.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, well, okay, so we'll move on from, from those two topics. Um, what
1: about MAGA, communism? <laughs>
0: That's, I mean, it sounds funny. We were talking about it there when it first popped up on Twitter and stuff. It's kind of funny, but it's, it's a good idea. It feels the people are actually are being serious about it and they're not LARPing, basically. They're not making fun <laughs> of it. <laughs> There's, well, yeah. it's basically, they're basically saying, listen, Trump was. Because it was in, in relation to recent threatened strikes, real worker strikes, yeah. <clears throat> in, in, the, in the US, right? Which were going to be. I think they cancelled the strike or whatever. Um, but. People who are MAGA enthusiasts, Trump supporters, said, listen, there should be a a joining together of uh, unions, union members, basically, uh, of of these large industries in the US with Trump supporters, like who are not, you know, blue collar workers, let's say. Um, Because they both want the same thing. They both want better lives, better livelihoods, better conditions, better prospects for lower, middle, and, and especially lower-income uh, families. In and in they America. both want
1: to destroy the intelligence community.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, they both have Abolish the Abolish the FBI, the CIA, NSA, etc. They have the same vision, yeah. yeah. So there is a natural... I mean, I, I would have always thought they're more or less the same people anyway in a certain sense, you know what I mean? That uh, the vast majority of blue-collar workers in the US probably were Trump Trump supporters, you know, probably are, or were Trump supporters, or at least MAGA supporters, if you want to call it that. Whatever that means now, with or without Trump. Um, Populism, American populism, basically. Yeah. Which is a naughty word, populism. But what it really means is basically power to the people, right? The, the majority. Yeah, well, of people it means the
1: yeah, working class. Coming people, together, working people. Left and right. Mm. Um, have a look at this one. This is how the other side sees it. Somebody posted a whole bunch of these. There's actually been dozens of similar characterizations as this one since uh, Trump was elected in 2016. <laughs> now take in what you're seeing there. Obviously, it's that's the a depiction of Trump looking pretty awesome. I have to say, um, as Lenin, as Lenin, Trump's permanent revolution. Subtext, uh, subheadline: The right-wing Leninist quote smashing up the state. Now,
2: <laughs> what, I'm not sure when that was? <laughs> How do we population? get the
1: right-wing Leninism? Twenty twenty. Now, the, the interesting about this is New Statesman is a nominally leftist. Publication, Right. British, I think. Jeez, it's too messed up. That is Leftists. Like... So what the MAGA communist guys are saying over and over is we hate the left that's in power. We do not... You can call them communists if you want, but that ain't us. And they point to these kinds of things. That's right. the left, new statesman. That's how they see Trump. We're cool with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition of things. That, one of the funniest things this week, this week that made MAGA communism go as a hashtag several times trending on American Twitter anyway all week long is that Trump, <laughs> Trump took it up and started using it over on his site, mm-hmm. social.
0: Yeah. Thousands
1: Ex- and tens of thousands of retweets and likes. his base apparently has no problem with it.
0: Explain right-wing Leninism to me.
1: I suppose, it's, I suppose it's simply at the, uh, the basic essential level is that you have someone who comes coming in and he wants to do a revolution on the status quo. Now, which parts of it are left and right, we can discuss, but that's basically it. It's the entrenched interests and powers are saying he's a threat to our system, our status right. quo. And so if you're left or right, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, how you've traditionally seen things, what did or did not, what got you as a rabid anti-Trump supporter, uh, anti-Trumper or a Trump supporter in 2016 was whether you could recognize that
0: that's what he was, that what he represented. So just overthrowing it, it's not, it's not left no, or right. It's, it's, it's actually preserving the, and saving. It's, no, but it's far but more
1: constructive. From their perspective, it's, it's both o-
0: constructive and... But from but from their perspective, it's overthrowing the established order. Yes. Which is what? We don't even know what to call that anymore. It's just the established the rules-based order. The rules
1: based international order, the liberal international order.
0: They, well, they have different liberal. for it. Yeah, but those terms mean nothing anymore because like right-wing Leninism with Trump as Lenin, but didn't Trump want to be kind of, um, like, he was almost like a king. He wanted to rule as a monarch in a certain sense. And certainly Leninism overthrew the Russian royal family. That's not what... Yeah,
1: but Lenin acted like a monarch. And is revered as such, even to this day, yeah. to some extent. I mean, he's still in the mausoleum in Red Square. There are Russian tsars who weren't in the mausoleum in Red Square. Yeah. There are more right. statues to Lenin all over the old Russian empire. Than there so basically, what they're Russian saying is, when they
0: say right-wing they mean a right-wing coup, essentially, uh, a right-wing overthrowing of the established order, which is an established yep. Washington establishment, uh, but using the working class, right? So it, using, they'll call
1: people. it right-wing, which they have, of course, very loudly over the last six years. But it falls apart when you start to look at. It. That's why this hashtag is funny because it's actually a more realistic portrayal of what we're looking at. Mm. It's substantially mm-hmm. working class i.e. it's an old left's base threatening, as they see it, to overthrow right. the established order. Right. So it's
0: populism. You are sum summed up by populism, yeah. effectively. Okay. Uh, weird. But it's just an example of how messed up things have become. Now, nothing makes any sense. And like you just said, it's what, what they're dealing with here is an establishment in, in the, the Anglo-American establishment who rules the international community, they'd yeah. say. And that any threat from anywhere uh, to them yeah. is slandered and demonized and called whatever is most appropriate to call them. Yes, they're, they're and
1: st- yes, an and important factor is that their ideological cloak changes. We're, we've seen this change in our lifetime. Hmm. The, uh, and it really came to the fore in 2016, but it was roughly over the last decade when they donned the cloak of caring of the left, of of the social good, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, peace and love, and all this nonsense. They took the left's interest and and shrouded. It. People like Chris Hedges, the American journalist, was writing books like at the in the Bush era, in the early two thousands, mm. warning. And he wrote a book by that, by that title, that fascism will come to America wrapped in the American flag. He got it wrong. It came to America wrapped in, among other things, LGBT, you know, uh, the current thing, uh, social values, you know, um, very, very much the left's talking points, anti-racism, mm. stuff like that. Yeah, That's yeah. how it arrived. Not wrapped in the, in the so the the order that the status quo has changed. Like, like a chameleon mm. in front of our eyes in our lifetime. So, mm. of course, the responding dialectic in how we we the people think of our real interests versus their the elite's interests is going to be on shifting sand as well right. as testing. That's why literally monarchism is, certainly in France, I don't know about, well, the US never had it, but um, is a... Very serious interest that people have today because yeah. they're like, geez, we've been through so many revolutions, all these republics,
0: and things aren't going and well. Things
1: are shit. Yeah, you know, bring it back. Yeah, bring something like that back.
0: Um, yeah, uh, this this is an example of what kind of what I was talking about as well as the playing with words. It's, it's kind of bizarre. Uh, it's just from recent news. Hungary. So the EU have decided that Hungary is no longer a full democracy, but they're now they're an electoral autocracy. What's an electoral autocracy? <laughs> <laughs>
1: See, <laughs> they have they have to change they have to change terms to, to make everything fit. It's
0: like all the m- most <clears throat> Hungarians want a strong leader who takes decisions that are against the current thing. Let's say like against the dominant discourse as established by the Anglo American establishment. And for that reason, they're bad, and that system in Hungary is bad. Not, but They can call it whatever they want and they have to make up ridiculous terms like electoral, electoral autocracy to explain it. But what they're saying is that Hungary, as represented by the people of Hungary who have elected and re-elected Viktor Orban, uh, are bad because of the policies that per- they're pursuing, which, is, uh, which, are, which go against the policies that the EU and the Anglo-American establishment, let's say, stand for, which is this extreme liberalism, it seems, and destruction of what could be called traditional values, let's say, and moving things along at a breakneck speed and destroying kind of institutions and uh, traditions and stuff that have been, that that people hold to. And it seems that, yeah, in Hungary, there's some pushback, much more pushback than in in any other, uh, most other European countries. But yeah, so uh, and they're apparently they're gonna they're going seriously this like hum- Hungary's gonna stop getting EU grants. It's they're basically in in the most important way that any country is part of the EU. They're like financially. where they get certain countries, you know, with with uh, smaller GDPs, whatever, would get uh, a lot of support, financial support from the EU. Uh, that's being at least it's being tabled to to cut it off basically, yeah. to and in that sense, oust them in a certain sense, in all but name from the EU. Part, part
1: of the squirming with, with using, uh, inventing new terms is that they're, they're constantly suppressing the realization that most people in Europe don't like them, mm. uh, would never vote for them. Mm. In that headline is the implicit statement that most people in Hungary would not side with the EU against Orban. So as a democracy, it is against the EU. They can't have that. So to suppress that or to cover that up, they have to come up with something.
0: Call it an electoral democracy. And policy. to present
1: it as unusual or an outcast in Europe when, in fact, that's almost certainly the status quo in all European countries. Whenever there's been a vote in the Euro- in Euro- in Euro- in by European peoples on European issues, they always vote no. Mm. That's why they stopped doing
0: referenda mm-hmm. on EU enlargement and yeah. integration. Consolidation and of power. And yeah. Yeah.
1: They just stopped it 10 years ago, 15 years ago.
0: So when people go to free and fair elections and elected a, a dictator, is he a dictator? Is he an autocrat?
1: No, of course not.
0: Apparently, and in apparently, the apparently in apparently our common sense be.
1: definition of the term, of course not.
0: But the so common sense is out the window. Okay, just making as long as as long as we know that common sense is out the window, and we don't have to take any of this stuff seriously because it's ridiculous. Then okay. Um, so moving on, uh, let's move on to well just let's do a bit a bit on Ukraine since that leads into uh stuff that was happening over in the further east with the CTO uh this week. Um we talked about last week about the Ukrainians winning winning uh they were by winning. Uh, yeah, and it was all doom and gloom. They were winning bigly in um in in Ukraine. Uh they According to the media, Moscow is, is next. Right, they took back Isium, and it was all going wrong for Putin. And Putin's teetering; he's on the brink. It's all gonna, it's all going wrong. Uh, meanwhile, Putin's laughing it up with the Global South leaders uh, over in Uzbekistan. Um, they uh, surprisingly, I don't know if I need to put this up or not, but I'll put it up anyway. Um, to my great shock and surprise, I saw that um, once they had. Retaken Izium in the in the north northeast of Ukraine, I, i.e. the Ukraine the the Russians basically just left and redeployed further south mainly. Um, they found within a few days they found mass graves and torture chambers, torture chambers in quotes at least. Uh, after the Russians were driven out, i.e. the Russians left of their own accord effectively. Um, Ukraine says hundreds are buried in wooded site near Liberty city of Israel. This is, again, this is just, this is the boot, uh, Butcha thing, um, where well, this, this is just done on purpose as part of the information war. I mean, people need to understand that this is absolutely part of the information war, because if you look at pictures, I mean, um, I, don't if, I don't know if there's any pictures, there's a video in this, but you can see pictures of it, the pictures have actually published as evidence for their claim that there are mass graves. There are actually, yeah, quite a lot of graves, but they all have crosses on them. A lot of them have numbers on them, uh, dates on them, uh, and a lot of some of them have pictures on them. So That's why none of the
1: headlines say unmarked graves, right? Because they're
0: specifically because, marked, right? Mass graves, like, a, but, but a mass grave is generally understood to be a big hole where a lot of bodies are put into it and it's covered over. These are rows, fairly, you know, neatly and deliberately laid out rows of graves with crosses on all of them. Like I said, with some them with, with identifying markers, I suppose, that of of the date or some and names on them. In some places, places, uh, instances, pictures on, on them of, of the person who's in the grave. Uh, so I just couldn't understand how it can, be con- it can be construed as a mass grave, as is commonly understood as some kind of a war crime, when it's, what seems happened here was that the Russian military had actually bothered, which isn't very often the case, had actually bothered to properly, at least to the extent that they could, properly bury Ukrainian soldiers had been killed and maybe civilians as well in graves but that's turned into some heinous crime by the Russians and, and what happened actually it's interesting because this is, a, this, is a, this is like I said part of the information war and it's designed specifically to g up or to, to uh, encourage to re-encourage let's say um, hatred of Russians well no support for Ukraine primarily mm paid for Russians, but primarily for support, Western support for Ukraine and Western popular people's support uh, for what their governments are doing, i.e. funneling large amounts of money uh, and, and all sorts of other, um, you know, pursuing all sorts of other decidedly negative policies uh, towards Russia and, to, and, and domestic policies in European countries, specifically related to energy infrastructure. And uh, under the guise of support Ukraine. It's supporting Ukraine democracy, uh, stop Putin, evil Putin, protect democracy in, in Ukraine and in Europe, etc., etc. Um, that's what this is for. So it's, it's negative propaganda against Russia to encourage continued support for Ukraine by European peoples and by Americans. Um, the same thing happened in Bucha. It's actually, I remember at the time, whenever in, in the Bucha situation uh, was in the news, there was a report uh, on that event, or uh, the details surrounding it, and there was a quote from uh, a, a UK military person who was involved in the whole organization of weapons, celebrities, et etc., et to Ukraine. And he said, they quoted him sp- explicitly saying that the Butcher thing really uh, caused them to double down on their support, for ukraine which i thought was the most interesting really the only important thing about in a certain sense about the butcher situation because it's just one of many incidents in, in the general war but this because of the way it was propagandized and and publicized in the media to western populations it had this impact on at least this guy and probably many others like him to saying to, to, to make them feel we really gotta double down and really commit to our support for ukraine now this is exactly the same yeah. but again it's fabricated it's it, there's no there's no substance to the claims that are being made here that this is some kind of a war crime it's like this is a war people mil, pr- primarily military, Ukrainian military personnel are dying in large numbers as we've seen and in this case Russians, the Russian military before they left took the time and effort to actually bury them that's what the thats what the, the headline should, should be it's a long headline but that's what the headline should be but instead it's mass grave and torture chambers
1: yeah no, the real world is, is complete opposite. They were actually buried by uh, LPR militia fighters. Right. So the basically within the context of a Ukrainian civil war, the one side just abandoned at no interest. They were constantly contacted. Do you want to come and take the thousands of dead bodies that litter? No, they just ignore because if they do that, you you bring home to people back in Kiev, Western Ukraine, and in the West, just how many of them have been killed. Mm -hmm. So they don't touch the bodies. They just let them rot. So LPR and DPR fighters brought in priests and actually buried with a mass or a blessing in marked graves with a number, a categorization process Mm -hmm. for the future so that when Ukraine, whatever, however it ends, they could identify people. Mm -hmm. They went in and wrecked those markers. So they didn't, when they took photos like the one we just saw, you weren't able to see that there was a cross with a reference number on each one. They just took the, they, it's so macabre. Well, there they are do,
0: pictures of all the crosses.
1: In some, Yeah, okay. But they, I, I've seen them as well where they, they, they just removed them. Mm. And so the photos are just like a forest with holes in them, you no. know.
2: Well.
1: And so now, it's again, it's super macabre. They're not only completely inverting reality, like you say, they're using it to, in fact, make the Russians out to be particularly evil. It's predictable. It's, yeah, it's, I, yeah, it's predictable for us. It's obviously not for people who are following the current thing. Mm. Um, the other development, naturally, is that the Ukrainian forces have been torturing and killing collaborators in the so-called liberated territory. Mm-hmm. There's actual evidence for that. Um, now, as soon as last la- our, our show ended last week, there was a, a barrage of cruise missiles mm. last Sunday. Knocked out power stations, at dam. That uh, was ridiculous. Yeah. Um. So there was there was a response. I just for over like two or three days. Anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Again, well, it speaks to what Putin said before, which is that uh, they haven't really done much in that sense. They haven't really started. They haven't really launched on all of it. And, an all-out attack, let's say, or an all-out war on Ukraine, um, and that's if for people who keep on questioning, you know, you know, uh, insultingly referring to uh, Russia's term for the the conflict that is a special military operation. Uh, that it's actually a war. Stop calling it a special military. Stop calling it a special military operation. That's because it it really is. Like in terms of how modern warfare. Uh, would be conducted by a by a, a country like Russia. Well, you look at the way the Americans, what the Americans did in in, in Iraq with their shock and all, five hundred cruise missiles on the first night, knocking out all sorts of doing. Um, uh, what the Russians did to some extent uh, earlier this week, and then invading the country with 200,000 200, troops, and you know, <clears throat> you know, overrunning the country basically. Uh, that's a war. Uh, Russia hasn't done that. It can still do that. If it if it wanted to, but obviously it, it doesn't see the need to, and is progressing slowly as it has had planned to from the very beginning. Uh, and again, Russia's uh, Russia's intent, as we've talked about before, Russia's intent, and this is obviously to uh, secure Donbass, secure Donbass and Crimea, which was the intent of the the intent of the Ukrainian military was to try and in in the lead up to this in, in February, the intent over the past number of years was for the uh, the US and the UK its allies etc. to uh, they've been equipping, arming, funding, training etc. the Ukrainian military with, a, with the intent of uh, attempting to retake or over, overrun Donbass and take back Crimea and then from there who knows what else But um, and that's why Russia um, Russia invaded in February uh, primarily I mean as much as they said it was to protect the people of Donbass it was and to keep Crimea it's like those two areas are, well Crimea is slightly separate but Donbass, certainly the eastern of Ukraine, is a buffer zone. They want to create a buffer zone, uh, as any country would. When, they, when there's an enemy on your border, you don't want the enemy right on your border, you want a space between you and the enemy. And the Donbass serves that purpose, and that's what they're aiming to achieve. Um, there's still quite a bit of actual, the actual geographic Donbass that, they, that the Russians don't hold, and their intent is to continue on until they hold all of the Donbass at least, and obviously keep Crimea and as much of the southern coast, possibly all of the southern coast, as possible. Um, of course the other angle is um, how this all started and how people I mean it just annoys me when I, mean, I shouldn't be annoyed anymore because it's ridiculous people who comment on this situation and are commenting on this situation on Twitter and even supposedly intelligent people obviously have no understanding at all of the geopolitics they don't understand it at all so they may as well be talking about something completely different so I don't engage with them at all because they don't understand really anything about this conflict <coughs> um, You could try and tell them that it started basically in 2014 when the U.S., you know, on record, was directly involved in overthrowing a democratically elected leader, the democratically elected elected leader of Ukraine and installing a pro-Western regime. Uh, And as a result of that, a section of eastern Ukraine decided they didn't want to be uh, a part of the country that had... You know, was 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 subject to a, a U.S.-backed coup and an undemocratic, the uh, undemocratic imposition of a new government. They said, "Okay, we want to leave," uh, and they have every right to do that under, I suppose, under international law, uh, with the reference of of Kosovo being rubber stamped by the West that that's fine to do whenever you don't agree, you don't want to be part of a country for whatever reason anymore. You're allowed to leave, and uh, the West said, said said no, you're not allowed to," and we're going to support the Ukrainian government in trying to uh, stop the people of the Donbass or eastern Ukraine, from, from making that decision that they don't want to be part of Ukraine anymore. An analogy might be if... Uh, and I remember, you have to remember as well that in the whole Euromaidan thing, Ukraine's 40 million people. The whole Euromaidan thing in 2014 that led to the coup and everything that has happened since, there were maybe somewhere on an average day fifty to 100,000 people in Kiev, primarily. few other smaller numbers of people around the country, but it really happened in Kiev. And this was then seen as representative of the entire country. But, and I mean, remember, 40 million people, fifty to 100,000 protesters got to decide for the other 40 million mm-hmm. where the country was going to go. And when, that, when, when a, a section of the country decided, listen, we, we don't agree with you, we don't want that to happen, they get bombed for it and called terrorists. Mm. Uh, an analogy would be in Washington, D.C., scale it up. Ukraine is maybe five, five and a half times less population, of America is five and a half times the population of Ukraine. Imagine, so scale that up to half a million or even a million people. Imagine you had a million people in Washington, D.C. who protested for weeks and weeks and weeks and then effectively overthrew Biden, or let's say overthrew Trump, or no, let's say overthrew Biden mm-hmm. and installed some, the opposite of Biden. Trump. Trump. And as a result, California, which has about the population of Ukraine, said, listen, this is a dictatorship, this is ridiculous, this is an undemocratic coup sponsored by Russia and China, supported by them, and you've overthrown the government that we supported and imposed the exact opposite, and we as Californians, 40 million people, want to leave the union. Then Trump, the newly installed Russian-Chinese-backed dictator, starts to wage war in California. What do the international community think about that? What do Americans think about that? What do any what do Europeans think about that? Who do they support? That's a good analogy. Because mm. there's forty million people in California. And there's forty million people in Ukraine. Which is, you know, roughly let's say in terms of Donbass and California's representative of the population of. That's that's an example, you know, but that's an example, just a very short description, you know, maybe oversimplified but still fairly accurate description of what happened. And the vast majority of people commenting on the current situation in Ukraine have no understanding of that whatsoever. That that's the context in which the, the invasion of Ukraine is happening. Mm-hmm. So why would you bother even talking to them, you know? They may as well be talking about some a, a war on some other planet. Yeah. I'm more interested in what the you know,
1: the people who are drawing interest in crowds to their commentaries on Ukraine are saying. As we noted last week, they were all doom and gloom about what had taken place. All of them. Maybe not Scott Ritter. He was like, yeah, it's a battle, so what? Yeah. But the others were like, oh, it was either like Putin's got up his game or Putin made mistakes or the Russian military made mistakes or, yeah, the whole thing was shoddy from the start because they never had enough force of men and numbers, et cetera, and weapons to do what it seemed they wanted to do. But... Yeah, I, th-
0: I don't think most people really understand
1: Put- what Putin was asked about it when he was in Ashken, and Yeah, and he's just like well yeah they launched a counter offensive and he, then he said we'll see how that ends yeah. and smiles, next question Yeah, but he doesn't seem that, that No, he's, that he's not
0: on the brink right, he's not teetering, he, he's, he's not about to collapse physically or politically or anything like that. It doesn't well, seem to be. you
1: remember the first month like oh any day now uh, Moscow's about to fall, Putin's going to be overthrown yeah. we just need to keep 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 at it, Uh, confuse Russian people, tell them some truth, some lies. It's about to fall. The latest poll numbers from like an actual Russian polling group that the West considered reliable, so they factually reported on what this poll said in Newsweek and Bloomberg, Mm etc. last week. Prisoners' numbers are as high as they've ever been, Mm -hmm. increased recently in the last quarter or whatever however often they do it, to 805 or something, maybe mm-hmm. 1.5% support. So, Yeah. Yeah, them sanctions are working great.
0: Yeah. Well, sanctions probably are working to, to a large extent because people don't understand about sanctions, they, have it, they pitch it in these kind of moral terms, as though it's like this is immoral, you know, and it may, might hurt us more than it hurts, hurts uh, or as much as it hurts him or whatever, but they're working and blah, 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 blah. And when they say h- sanctions are working, what are sanctions effectively? Sanctions are a threat by the West, Western countries, um uh, companies or Western governments to prevent uh, you know effective threats that prevent um, all businesses European businesses, for example, or any other businesses from doing business with Russia. who do they have to do business with them? you know what i mean anybody who's mm-hmm. who's actually you know financially aiding buying products let's say from russia you 're not allowed to buy those products anymore who do you buy them from what do you buy them from us? So sanctions are, first and foremost, purely self-interested, you know, financially – they're purely financial self-interest on the part of the country imposing sanctions. F- you know, short-term, immediate gain. Uh-huh. We're go- forget about the, the actual knock-on effects in a certain sense if, if these other – if we can't supply you, for example, Europe can't buy products from Russia anymore, can't buy energy from Russia. We'll, you have to buy them from us, so we'll make a load of money. You're America talking about the United States. But there the isn't States. even enough. And exactly. And even American
1: well, companies, even the American government is saying we don't have enough right. for you. but,
0: but it's good. Like, but that's so good. it's
1: worse than that even. Well, it's, it's, it's even more than, than pecuniary self-interest of if, the Americans. If, the European leaders are going along with this for other reasons as well.
0: It, yeah, but I don't give much credit to like, foresight or, or long-term thinking on their part.
1: It might be that bad. I, I think like, it's, von der Leyen, like you're saying what are sanctions really for? And you're giving an explainer yeah. here. Von der Leyen, Reiterated this week that the sanctions are working. Russia's economy will be quote in oblivion yeah. soon.
0: Well, she, she, but she's Does saying she really that believe that? Well, she's me- telling
1: a whole the whole full room of MEPs, and
0: everybody's lapping it up because they're all making money. You know, f- from this policy, effectively. From I mean, it's I mean, the other angle to the whole crisis is, you know, strong political leadership in a crisis. It justifies their jobs. You know, any crisis that comes along for any country, especially when the enemy is outside their borders needs a strengthening of the political leadership, which very often includes increased salaries, increased perks, you know what I mean? Because we're going around, we're doing stuff, you know what I mean? People don't give as much credit to that aspect of it as they should because they're not, you know, they're encouraged all the time to think of it in moral terms and we're fighting a good fight and we're making sacrifices and stuff. These people aren't making sacrifices. They're making money hand over fist in one way or another, either directly from sanctions or simply from the fact of this crisis where they have to... (coughs) Uh, it's job justification. where they are ha- where, where they where solidified in, in their in their positions as leaders who are needed because there's a crisis. Politicians love crises because, like I said, it's job justification. Otherwise, they might be out in the rear and then be voted out the next time. You know. Of course, that's what they think. Well, you can't. Yeah. 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 The only way that point are,
1: taken, though. You, just as a, a side note, you can't vote them out. No. Door. Well, they might be.
0: They might be. They can't. They might this. be removed in some other way.
1: Yeah, voting, the voting part it, is done.
0: Right. Well, when that happens, they end up getting dragged out.
1: Do you think <laughs> we'll see that po- another time? It's one
0: possibility. If things get bad enough, they'll be dragged out.
1: Revolution in Europe.
0: Some form of it. Um, what about Armenia and Azerbaijan? What about the... Is yeah,
1: a, let's start with them.
0: What about the azeri no.
1: Well, Yeah, Azeri...
0: <coughs> um. azeri that's, Azerbaijan used to be called the... Uh, what was it called? The Republic of BP.
1: Remember that by um, that uh, John
0: American? Oh, Chris Hedges. No, uh,
1: American Jewish guy. We had him on a, uh, one of our earlier shows. He wore a funny hat. Greg, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Republic of BP. I think he coined that because right. he he had been there and he'd done reporting about it. Um, the gas. Uh, let me. I want to put a map up.
0: Yeah, Uh, in which one is it? (coughs) In broad strokes, Armenia is part of the. Oh, here it is. Armenia is part of the CTO, the CSTO, uh, which is a kind of alliance, a a loosely based alliance of um, a loosely based alliance of. It's called. It's a collective security treaty organization, and it's it's officially called an intergovernmental military alliance in eurasia uh, armenia belarus kazakhstan kyrgyzstan russia and tajikistan um so armenia is part of that and so in theory Ru- armenia is russia and La- russia aligned and eastern aligned whereas azerbaijan with its history of being the republic of bp would be american aligned in a certain it's sense or at least super has more. super complicated so
1: yeah. this is the caspian sea on the right that's turkey on the left Iran to the south, <laughs> Russia to the north. Look at this, this is the state of things today, right? This Armenia, left side, right side, Azerbaijan. The enclave that's the same color as Azerbaijan is disconnected from the main body of Azerbaijan and it's on the far side of Armenia. Right. The part they were fighting over, this erupted really in 2020, the, the Nagorno Karabakh war, lasted about six months, I think, is the disputed part, just the red part. Nagorno Karabakh is internationally recognized by everyone as being in Azerbaijan proper, but it's overwhelmingly ethnic Armenians, okay? Then you've got the dark brown part that's also majority ethnic Armenian, but not actually in the disputed part for now anyway, also in Azerbaijan proper. Anyway, so the 2020 war kicked off. um really was the first major flare-up to consider that 2020 was the first flare-up in 30 years since the collapse of the USSR, which Mm -hmm. kept this whole region stable. So Azerbaijan and Armenia kick off in Nagorno-Karabakh province, which is inside Azerbaijan proper. What happened last week is that Azerbaijan forces uh, went into and shelled Armenia proper. So they bypassed the disputed part within Azerbaijan and went direct to Armenia. Um, 200 plus dead soldiers, mostly Armenian. This was everyone agreed it was definitely started by Azerbaijan. Um, it was on September 12th. Um, immediately, mass protests erupted in Yerevan against the Prime Minister Pashinyan. Forget how you say his name, and they attempted to storm Parliament. The government nearly declared martial law in Armenia. I think that's. On again, off again. is currently not the case. Armenia calls Moscow, triggering C-S-T-O. CSTO meeting. The outcome is a bit unclear, to say the least. Um, Eurasianet, which is kind of a pro-Western portal, uh, shits on Putin and is saying, "Well, he was kind of a quiver, you know, a bit vague about what." Yeah, we'll we'll keep talking, and you two stop fighting. That has been the case. I think 200 died in two days, and for the most part, the fighting has stopped. I don't know if the Azerbaijani troops are still inside Armenia's borders, but there is a kind of ceasefire right now. Uh, um, Main point, look at that, how bloody complicated that is. Georgia to the north has two parts that have uh, unofficially succeeded from Georgia and want to join Russia. Obviously, you've got Turkey. There's a nice clean border there between Turkey and Iran, but remember, smack overlaying that border between Turkey and Iran, you've got self-styled Kurdistan, mm-hmm. which Turkey has obviously a major long-standing issue with. So does Iran with the Kurds in that whole region. It's a mess. Then you've got Israel. Israel is all over this thing. Mm-hmm. They're trying to stay very, very quiet, but there's enough reporting about the. In- Enormous quantity of weapons. Israel has been flying up north along Turkey, around Armenia, over Georgia, bypassing Russia and down into Azerbaijan. Um, I have a report here. Israel accounted for 20%, about a third of Azerbaijan's major arms imports from the decade 2011 to 2020. But in 2016 to 2020, Israel accounted for two-thirds, 69% of Azerbaijan's uh, arms imports. A number for context that represents almost 20% of Israel's total arms exports for the entire period. So Israel's got an interest. The interest is so large that last week when people, well, some people were caught filming uh, in Baku in Azerbaijan celebrating their sides picking up the fight against Armenia by waving the Israeli flag. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, well, so what? Well, Azerbaijan is majority Muslim. Mm-hmm. Armenia is basically Orthodox Christian. I think it's Russian. Maybe not Russian, but Orthodox Christian. Then there's Iran. This kicks off last week, and Iran sends something like 50,000 troops to its border with Azerbaijan. You think Iran and Azerbaijan, we're both Muslim? We're on the same side? Right. No, kind of not. Iran is worried as hell, and they stated as such about this unbelievable volume of weapons. <laughs> that are coming into Azerbaijan because mm-hmm. they know the Israelis are up to something and, and it's got Israel, them in their sights not so much Russia.
0: Israel gets 40% of its uh, energy from Azerbaijan. There's that. And,
1: yeah. von der Leyen was in Azerbaijan recently. Uh, it's funny actually. Uh, people said, the well, the that's interesting. Uh, we're going to increase gas supplies from Azerbaijan to re- replace the volumes yep. we've lost from Russia. Right. And then did that facilitate Azerbaijan getting a green light you know a week later the shit kicks off you know
0: yet at the same time this is from a geopolitical perspective it's interesting for the u.s. in terms of causing problems on russia's border because obviously you have a a border here with russia uh, and you'd think you would expect in the situation that uh that the u.s. would be all over Azerbaijan and well they have actually said poor Azerbaijan Armenia is evil stop Doing it, but at, well, the t- at the same time, Pelosi, <laughs> Pelosi heads to Armenia to, uh, I think in uh, in Yerevan, yeah, uh, to the capital. Here, here she is. Um She's at. Uh, of course, there's a whole uh, uh, Armenian. There's a whole Armenian genocide thing, which is an Armenian-Turkish thing that has never really been resolved. Back in uh, what was it, 19 <coughs> 1915. Um, a long-standing historical grievance from, by, um, from on the part of the Armenians that the Turks during the First World War carried out a, a, a genocide basically against Armenians. Anyway, we'll listen head and put Pelosi here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's her putting on a show, putting on a good stunt, of course. I, think, I don't think she really does much else uh, except pretends to blob for a little bit more. But, for, the um, for the children. For the children. She's doing it for the children. For the children. So, the children. so um, she, uh, th- her doing that yeah. will piss off the Turks. Oh, big time.
1: Why? Any ideas why the U.S. so blatantly weighed in on – because they're obviously behind both sides here. They're but also,
0: well, they're not happy about Turkey. You know, so this is seen as a you – know, we don't care, basically, in, in a certain sense. And, but weighing in on both sides, yeah. I mean I think the only explanation for why they're weighing in on both sides in that respect is because uh, of the broader geopolitical aspect of it uh, as, as a tool. Because is like both countries are effectively on Russia's border. Um, okay, Armenia is separated by Georgia, but Georgia's, you know, possibly uh, could be could be stoked uh, again. Um, and Azerbaijan obviously is on on Russia's border, so um, anything that you can, like, I mean, it, the fact it, that the narrative,
1: it, main mainstream narrative, uh, it's basically simple as Azerbaijan with Turkey. And Russia's with Armenia. Yeah. Russia has a military base in Armenia. This is true. But things have happened in recent years that the muddy, that water. Mm-hmm. This this prime minister of Armenia, wasn't, didn't he come to power three or four years ago mm-hmm. in a color revolutionary type thing? Yeah, yeah. Was Again, Russia behind that? Did they support it?
0: Uh, that, that area. Not
1: behind it, but did they. Yeah, I think they. That,
0: that area of the. <clears throat> the Caucasus, basically, is obviously it was in the past uh, a focus, uh, you know, an important uh, focus for American geopolitical interests, geopolitical interests specifically in terms of creating problems on on Russia's southern border. I mean, anywhere Russia can, or anywhere the US can, can can stoke tensions there or, or cause problems. Um, the fact that Armenia calls effectively Russia in a certain sense to say, listen, you know, uh, ask for CSTO. Involvement or mediation in this, you know, it's good for America in a certain sense because it puts pressure on Russia. Uh, So America wouldn't want to be seen to, you know, taking one side or the other. Because ideally, they would want to court both Armenia and Azerbaijan. Mm. I mean, get both of these countries in our in our sphere, bring them closer to our sphere of influence, meaning we have more options to put pressure on Russia. Um, So yeah, they're not going to take sides. Like you said, you would assume that they'd be would be pro azeri and anti Armenian, uh, but it's in a broader in the broader context. It's like well, both of them. We don't want to piss off either. We don't want to take sides. Um, yeah, we'd rather let Russia take sides.
1: The the kind of historical or cultural or social pressure from within Russia, though, is to support Armenia. Of course, yeah, um, and to see it as such as, well, there as Azeri aggression questions. against yeah. Armenia. So at least there was that CSTO meeting, a virtual meeting. Um, was it the same day that the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting kicked off? Now, that took place over two or three days, but some of the photos that came out of there, who, who's a member of it or observing slash dialogue partner slash soon to be a member? I think Turkey wants in.
0: Yeah, well, they're there, yeah. Either way, er- was Erdogan there.
1: was there up front. On all the photos, he's walking arm in arm with Putin at one point. And who's also there, you know, they, when they have their no ties, relaxed, casual, all snacking around a big table. There's Erdogan holding fort with Putin. I didn't see Xi there. But uh, the other key thing was not just the Central Asian leaders, um, so the host, basically, the president of Uzbekistan, but also the leader of Azerbaijan. Yeah. Aliyev
0: I think his name is. As a, he's supposed
1: to be on the other side from Putin, mm-hmm. but they're all sitting they're, together on the same. side three,
0: three separate. Uh, there's members, <coughs> observers, and dialogue partners. Yeah. So the the full members are China, India, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan, Russia, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan. So all the stands plus China, India, Pakistan, and Russia. Um, observers: Afghanistan, Belarus, Iran was admitted as a as full member. Observer. Well, it has been an observer, and it's being admitted as a full member. And then dialogue partners are Armenia, Azerbaijan, Cambodia, Both. Egypt, Nepal, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Sri Lanka, Turkey. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, between those three, it's, um, apart from Africa, it's most of Asia. It's like all of Asia. It. It's probably like four billion people or something like that. I mean, governments that uh, rule over four billion people, you know.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's greater Eurasia. The yeah. Eurasianist map, uh, probably made by Dugan 15, 20 years ago, is kind of coming real. Um, although we should, the caveat though is that this is Shanghai cooperation. Right. This is probably this is this is always going to be a well, Chinese. It,
0: it's one belt, one road. You yeah. know, uh, China China's uh, Eurasian kind of integration. I, I suppose. Um, a side note: of, do you, I, I don't know. I don't know if you want to discuss it separately, but th- this
1: SCO summit. Um, I thought it was interesting. One Belt, One Road. It's in Samarkand. Mm -hmm. It's not the capital of Uzbekistan, but Samarkand was the old capital of, I can't remember, Khorasan or something, Mm -hmm. in medieval times. The last time, the One Belt, One Road was, an earlier iteration, uh, the Great Silk Road of the Mongolian time. And, of course, not so much the Mongols, but just prior to that, when... um, the whole of Central Asia became Muslim, Mm -hmm. there was a really fantastically, um, I suppose, a flourishing, economic and artistic flourishing. Also scientific, there was a kind of a really brief but pronounced period of um, civilization in the best senses of the word Mm -hmm. at that time. Samarkand was... that's why it was probably chosen. It still is a fantastic, um, as amazing landmarks from that time. So it's an interesting uh, symbolic place for this to happen. Mm-hmm. The other side note is that this is the first time Xi Jinping has left China since 2019.
0: In 2019?
1: Yeah, he hasn't left because of mm-hmm. COVID, right? He's yeah, yeah, full. He's full uh, and remember, we, we know that, and our listeners know that that's not because he's scared of the COVID. That's mm. because he's scared of Oh, the, the COVID as delivery method for other potential things. He's probably taken it very seriously. There, He himself has sort of been on international lockdown. He doesn't want to go out because he knows that um, he's probably at risk or something. But the Western media spun... Um, they just flipped it all in his head. They spun the fact that Xi's first meeting is to go meet primarily, right? He's going to see Putin, of course as Putin coming, quote, cap in hand to Xi (laughs) for help because Russia's losing so badly on the economic front in this great big war against the West. That's nonsense. That is is all. Anyone in the West, if they paid any attention to this event, that's 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 all they know. Putin went cap in hand to China for money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, the other part of it was Xi was distancing himself from Putin. Yeah. He left China for the first time to meet
2: Putin. Well,
1: it's the opposite of yeah. what they're telling you. But he's
2: much. distancing
1: himself from every other Westerner. He was invited to Queen's uh, funeral. I'm not going. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: um, okay. Obviously, there's Russia-Ukraine. Um, there's Armenia, Azerbaijan. Another fire that nearly flared up was Kosovo-Serbia in August. Sort of, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, it's interesting. that. And then we have... Uh, the Belarus
1: Color Revolution in 2020. And then two days after Armenia and Azerbaijan kicks off again, we've got Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. <laughs> now, this is far closer to Samarkand mm-hmm. in Uzbekistan, where this event was held. Um, okay. Uh, here's another map for context. Crazy Where context. we're looking at. The timing is kind of the giveaway here of A Hidden Hand. The timing and some other uh, data, as we'll see, about what went down in these border clashes, um, they're not as serious as Armenia, Azerbaijan, but it could be. I think 80 or 90 people dead at this point. Civilians, a lot of them civilians. Well, there's an X, there's an X factor here. Armenia and Azerbaijan so far are killing soldiers. So this is zoomed in, but you should. Check. I've zoomed it in deliberately. I wanted to for people to see, look how bloody complicated that is and how easy it would be to abuse that situation, right? This is, these are the lines as drawn from the end of the USSR. For the last 30 years, it's worse than Armenia-Azerbaijan situation. The, I don't know what language this is in, but uh, that's Tajikistan to the south, Kyrgyzstan to the east, Kazakhstan to the north, and Uzbekistan. Look, it's like a knot. Uzbekistan wraps around Tajikistan. It tucks into Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan itself wraps around Uzbekistan. It tucks back into Tajikistan. In addition, there are islands. Uzbekistan has islands within Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan. Tajikistan has islands within Kyrgyzstan. Tajikistan has also islands within Uzbekistan. And you can see how it's just like a recipe, how easy it would be to provoke that, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Having said that, Having said, it is remarkable that for thirty years it has been stable, at least on the war front. It has been relatively stable um, and that is why the timing of this is all the more strange because this what happened this week, two days after Armenia and Azerbaijan flares up, it looks like a very well-planned military-type operation from Tajikistan in the south there into Kyrgyzstan took place. Um, So for context, there was a border clash last year. Um, So in 2021, excuse me, it was the first time it flared up in 30 years. uh, About 40 people were killed. But this one that just happened on September 14th this year, uh, we've got about eighty dead.
0: Mm. Okay. The other thing we didn't mention was Kazakhstan uh, earlier, which is the north of, of all of these, directly to the north of all these. Um you know, Kazakhstan's right there, uh, but Kazakhstan was the there was a, there was an attempted what appeared to be a, an attempted right. color revolution. What two In months? Two months?
1: January. Ago? The yeah, this year. Yeah, b- just a few weeks before Ukraine kicks off. Right. Um, so, and, by the way, to those who are shitting on Putin now for the CSTO being useless to come in and do anything about it, that triggered a CSTO clause. There was a meeting. Uh, troops were sent in. Yeah, they were mostly Russian. Of course, they were. That's always going to be the case. But, for example, Armenia sent 100 troops mm-hmm. as part of its CSTO delegation. That thing was dealt with overnight. Mm-hmm. It was gone. Mm-hmm. Done. Dusted.
0: It's interesting, though, all of these in this particular in this particular area from you know, Armenia, all the way across uh, Central Asia, you have what's, like we mentioned, well, if you include Belarus, it's, well, let's, let's not include Belarus, but that's, that's three, in the past six months, that's three different flare-ups of uh, border disputes, let's call them. One of which is pretty much
1: frozen for 30 years.
0: Right, in an area that is, you know, to a large extent under, in, in Russia's backyard and under Russian, you know, Nominally, at least under Russian uh, security control. Let's say, is uh, that a coincidence? Probably not.
1: Well, let's let's look Here's Some some specific details about what took place um, on the fourteenth. This is from again Eurasianet. It's pretty much anti Russia, pro West portal. But it doesn't matter. They have some interesting. Um, uh,
3: did you get that, Scotty?
1: Yeah, it's not
3: showing okay. the images for some reason.
1: Okay, scroll down to um, on September fifteenth.
3: Uh,
0: just double. I think it was uploaded.
1: No, up, oh, there it is. Yeah, that won't show you. Basically, the video is just ten seconds. It's a guy from a Tajik side. He's hoisted a Tajik flag in on a Kyrgyz school just over the border. Whatever. On September fifteenth, the head of the Kyrgyz. GKNB, which is sort of a security service, whatever, told reporters that bearded men in black outfits were involved in the assault on courageous border outposts uh, that enforced, the 14th. The suggestion appeared to be that Tajik offences were being led by individuals unaffiliated with the armed forces. Boom. Next paragraph. If you scroll down a bit. Uh, a 10-second video that circulated on social media around September 16th shows groups of Tajik men, they think, they assume, closely f- fitting uh, the description. Several individuals, some in black T-shirts other in camouflage gear, are seen checking their automatic rifles. The person filming is here to say, here are our guys. It's not possible to establish whether they're irregulars or army personnel. And that's, the article's 'm going to explain, because they're not wearing any insignia. So that's, that's, really, that's really suspicious. Like, if you're going to go and raise the Tajikistan flag, you're not going to come, like, why would you pretend to be otherwise mm-hmm. than Tajikistan? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense on the face of it. That very same day, on the 14th, I'm not sure how this fits with the overall SCO meetings, but that very day, Shoigu is meeting the defense ministers of Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan in neighbouring Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Eurasian, that goes on to imply or suggest, oh, maybe that suggests a Russian hand, a diabolical, we'll have the leaders, we'll have the leaders of both countries with us as we press go on starting a conflict between, no, no that makes mm-hmm. no sense, not in a specific nor in the context. Obviously, the context of Russia does not want to start another fire in Central Asia. Of course. Yeah. Russia's in the business of putting fires out. So someone, someone is up to something here. So who is it? Well, who has been organizing joint regional drills between all the stands since 2004? The Pentagon. Who has been training special forces in both countries, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, for the last 15 years? U.S. special forces. So I'm not saying that's evidence enough of uncle sam having done this but you saw the map you saw how easy it would be to cause a border issue right Uh, by the way those borders aren't fixed there are whole sections that are that are disputed and they both agree just to stay back from where the imaginary line is they're not even sure where they're fixed this is a report from 2011 u.s special forces help train praetorian guards there's a kind of a a pejorative in the headline because the headline makes it seem that, oh, the Pentagon's only using special forces to help train those who protect the, quote, dictators of Central Asia. It's a lot more detailed than that. They actually trained the entire elite of the elite of those countries, or at least um, they trained them to some extent. The thing is, it's not that simple, either because those countries are, of course, heavily armed and equipped and trained, Historically, by Russia, mm-hmm. Russia has a base in both countries. The US did at one point during the war on terror have one in Tajikistan, but it's officially left in twenty fourteen, and that's come that's actually come under Indian control. I found that at finding out these facts that India now has full the foot the lease on what was formerly a US base in Tajikistan. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes to show how complex Central Asia is. So when you have the SEO and you have Modi, the leaders of the stands, uh, the leader of Azerbaijan, uh, the Armenian Armenians, guy was yep. there as well, yeah. Putin, G, etc., etc. Meeting for a whole round of meetings, many bilateral meetings between each other, of course, but also roundtable meetings. Are you seriously going to tell me These guys are so cunning and diabolical that actually that's all just smiles for the camera while they're sending secret orders to the special forces to kick off as many border wars across Central Asia as
2: possible. Mm. You
1: know, these places are poor, many of them. They're trying to develop the countries. They're trying to not have wars so they can have development. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the way I've just described it there, the interest is on the force that does not want development. Central Asia, that does not want a one belt, one road system. Right.
0: Eurasian integration, yeah.
1: So, the motive is really clear. The evidence obviously is only, you know, mystery gunmen with beards. Yeah. We know that Russia's warned in the past that, holy shit, you know, these guys could come pouring out of Afghanistan. That was why they had major war drills in the stands right. in recent years. Up to 75,000 troops, massive tank movements, Obviously, there is not going to be a wave of tanks coming from Afghanistan, but
0: a wave, a wave of Toyota, Toyota pickups.
1: Toyota pickups, bearded guys, Allah Akbar, uh, who have had special training in, in special schools. Banning. Some of them, for sure. And those guys would then be coming back to poor Central Muslim Asian Muslim countries and uh, recruiting all yeah, kinds of ISIS, ISIS
0: in Syria all over again. Or, or the Taliban, or whatever they want to call them. yeah. Uh, ISIS-K, no, wasn't, wasn't that the uh, Khorasan? ISIS-K, 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 ISIS-K exactly, ISIS, yeah.
1: Unfortunately, uh, th- these things can... I'm pretty sure they're going to put a boot on all of this, uh, stamp it out. But the latest I heard today is that Kyrgyzstan forces apparently shelled... I'm saying it's probably that, the, that reporting of it is probably accurate. Kyrgyzstan forces have apparently shelled a market in Tajikistan in, in retaliation. So the civilians been killed in this. In a sense, this is hotter than Armenia,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Azerbaijan, because that one's limited to military on military contact. Civilians have been killed here. But civilians being killed is also a tell sign that you've got a third force. Yeah. That it's not the actual military
0: right. of either country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll have to wait and see, but I don't. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects to it. You know, it's, it's obviously. Uh, I mean, it's not like you were saying. It's for the first time in thirty years in, in Tajikistan and, and uh, 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 Kazakhstan. Um, the first time in thirty years there was any any problem, right? I mean, there's all obviously other other forces. Involved or other reasons, it's not just a border. It's not that it's a border issue. They don't, they don't suddenly say, "Listen, we have a problem with the border again," when, when it hasn't been a problem for so long. The same with Ar- Ar- Armenia and, um, to a large extent, Armenia and Azerbaijan. Um, there's energy issues and food supply issues, but particularly energy issues um, that are and even water, water control uh, rights over water and stuff. I mean, essential stuff that are that are being. Uh, that are involved in is a bit too complex to get into because you have to get around, right down to the nitty gritty down to like almost ground level. But um, there's a lot of other factors that um, that that are potential flashpoints. If you know what I mean, that unless yeah. they're negotiated, then they're ripe for being turned into a, 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 a you know a shooting shooting war or shooting shooting match. Uh, as assuming someone is there to uh, to stoke it, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah. So. Um, the one thing I want to
1: maybe finish with a tentative but important piece of data is that RAND document. Right. Um, I came across last week. I'm trying to find it now. Um, there was a, something weird happened with that. There are two issues with RAND that came up. One of them was someone found a segment from uh, a report called Extending Russia. Mm-hmm. Basically, overextending Russia. The title gives it away. It was from 2019 or something, and it listed things, things that might happen, not things we're planning to do, but things that you know um, could be like um, a pro-democracy movement in Belarus. Remember, this is the year before that happened. Yep. There could be an armenian azerbaijan border clash. Um, uh, I forget the other list. A it's, whole bunch of them.
0: Yeah, well, you can just open it there. Do you have it? Yeah, it it'll, oh, it'll, um, it'll op- it'll opens in a, in a player. That's, that's basically the document. And the, so RAND is per- uh, one of the preeminent U.S. think tanks. Um, and this is 2019, paper titled Extending Russia. A lot of interesting parts in it. Uh, one of them was... Um, One, one quote from it. Six possible U.S. moves in the current geopolitical competition. Providing lethal arms to Ukraine. Bingo. Resuming support to the Syrian rebels. Done. Promoting regime change in Belarus. Check. Exploiting Armenian and, and Azeri tensions. Yep. Intensifying attention to Central Asia. The Definitely. That's what we just saw this week. And isolating Transnistria.
1: Well, there's some mystery attacks in Transnistria <coughs> that no one has officially claimed. Drone attacks that killed some Russian soldiers here?
0: Yeah. Uh, the rest of it was... Uh, there are several other possible geopolitical moves discussed in other RAND research, but not directly evaluated here, including intensifying NATO's relationship with Sweden and Finland, pressuring Russia's ah, claims... Ah, they since joined NATO. Right. Pressuring Russia's claims in the Arctic, that's kind of ongoing, and checking Russia's attempts to expand its influence in Asia.
2: That's so
1: the general. all in the jet.
0: 2019 Rand think tank that informs U.S. policy, U.S. foreign policy. One of the think tanks that informs U.S. foreign, foreign policy. Right. Uh, three, three years ago.
1: Isn't it strange then that <clears throat> as that as this real scroll down a little, I want to see it's a Rand logo on that. It should be there. You go. There it is. That that's a legit. They admit. Oh shit, look, it's on the URL, round.org. It's published, it's on their website, yeah. Extending Russia. This is a real bona fide round report. Isn't it strange that the same week, there's what supposedly, I think, first pushed, I saw it by John Mark Duggan, the American cop dissident who lives in Russia. I don't know where he saw it, but it's supposedly it's a section from another round report that was leaked, i.e., it was more classified and it got published or leaked. And it refers specifically to de-industrializing Germany and to weakening Germany mm-hmm. in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this one got more international attention because Rand, they said, that's not our report, that's fake news, mm-hmm. which might it might well be the case. So, so There's a kind of fake Rand report and a fake, and therefore a legit fact check mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. going around, while this one is actually a real one. This sort of, into the background you know yeah i want. i wonder if some kind of it was kind of that was a micro management of information that took place in real time mm. um possibly because yeah. well to, of course it speaks for itself it's it's literally every single item they talk about three years ago has come to pass
0: yeah and it's an example of how those think tanks really do are just producing government policy producing u.s government foreign policy i mean they read it the U.S. implements it, or maybe it's
1: or it's, it's just it, so obvious and what ought to be done
0: to, yeah. f- to mess or up it's already with in the process. They're getting their information from somewhere else. They're just the public face to produce public dot papers that validate what they've, what their connections within the intelligence communities have already figured out what they need that they need to do. Yeah, I think it's more like that. It's, it's more not that like grand as
1: a kind of workaround. Right. Really, it's, it's the CIA wants to do this, but how do we make it not be look like we're doing right. this?
0: Let's make a let's have a think a tank, a private publish, think tank over here, publish a paper. Yeah. Uh, yep. So it's not that they inform government policy, but they, they, they announce U.S. establishment deep state policy uh, through these corporations, through these uh, think tanks.
1: Yeah, Rand issued a press release this week to say fake Rand report, quote, on weakening Germany. But they've no problem with this one on extending Russia.
0: Yeah. So why, why would you not <laughs> believe that? They're, that, that certainly it, it's to their advantage to weaken, Russia, uh, weaken Germany. And on that point, actually, since we're... Uh, uh, I mean, I know it's it's only one aspect of it. I think I just sent you something, Scotty, but that's not it. Um, it's just it's a Financial Times article, so it's only we've only got the uh, the headline because it's behind a paywall. Um, I haven't signed in. Uh, German drinks makers suffer as energy crisis hits carbon dioxide supplies. Um, so that's just one example of. Um, it's it's basically a a fertilizer problem, which is interesting actually because Putin just announced recently that uh, you know there's there's sanctions on on Russia's Russia's one of the world's leading fertilizer producers, uh, and but they've sanctioned it so it, so they have a stockpile of fertilizer that, that they haven't been able to sell to like let's say to uh, to various different countries, and they're willing to give it away for free, but. How dare you attempt to give your fertilizer away for free, particularly this, uh, to countries in the south and and, and in in Asia and, and the Middle East and Africa, mm. uh, that that needed that were, you know, at least made up the, the majority of of the of the, per- the 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 countries that purchased the fertilizer in, in the first place. Um, but they have the stockpile now because of sanctions. And he said that we're willing to give it away for free. But um, it's sitting in the European ports. It's Well, well, either it's in European ports or they're not letting it out of Russia because they're not allowed to ship it. Because it's, uh, I think it's ammonium ammonium nitrate gas, basically. It's a gas initially that's part of the fertilizer production process. And uh, there's a pipeline that runs through Ukraine from Russia where it's produced that goes through Ukraine down to uh, the Black Sea where it's then shipped to to various different countries. And Ukraine's saying, no, you're not allowed to, we're we're not accepting any deliveries through Ukraine of Russian fertilizer gas for fertilizer mm. um but this carbon dioxide in the, the for the german soft drinks industry is a byproduct of that fertilizer production process but because of the sanctions there's german drinks makers may go out of business because they can't get the carbon dioxide to make your fizzy drinks make their drinks fizzy right uh and at the same time i just thought it was very interesting i mean it's obviously it's, it's slightly disconnected but at the same time uh, you have <laughs> this thing going on um this is uh, a new fabulous engineering project. Um, it's called carbon removal facility, um, and it's in the US. It's it, they're setting it up in Wyoming. It's going to be you know within the next year or two. Um, it's gonna, they hope to capture carbon, carbon, dioxide, carbon dioxide, right? Carbon the capture, stuff that blah, blah. the stuff that so they're going to suck it out of the air, basically. You know, carbon <laughs> dioxide that's really important for uh, plant, you know, mm-hmm. you know, healthy plant growth and stuff like that. They're going to s- s- attempt to suck up 5 million metric tons per year, which is equivalent of 5 million return flights between London and New York annually, because there's your example. And so, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> it's just like... So companies are, like, going out of business because of lack of carbon dioxide for a different reason, but at the same time in America, because of greening the economy uh, and, and transitioning to the uh, the new dystopia, uh, they're sucking out of the air, and you know what they're doing. If you just scroll down, uh, there's I think there's a little yeah, there's a little graphic down there, a little blue graphic below that. It shows how it, how it works. So you've got <laughs> you basically got renewables. So you've got solar panels and uh, wind turbines on the left that are actually providing power for this uh, direct air capture box, giant big uh, facility. It sucks all the CO2 out of the air and then pumps it down into deep rock formations. Dirty, dirty carbon dioxide. Get it out of the air and push it into the earth. And then what happens? It's basically the stuff you drinks. Which one it? Well, the earth just burps, right? It does a giant... And, and wrecks Wyoming um, or something like that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so mad. But on, more, on a more serious topic, uh, it's really serious, even though that's serious as well. Um, the really serious topic is nu- nuclear war. Nuclear war. What are we going to do? We're going uh, to tactical nukes. Russia's going to tactical nukes. Haven't you heard? Russia's going to use tactical nukes. Anyway, 60 Minutes in the UK, talk to Biden. Uh, thankfully, there's, we're only going to play 48 seconds of it um, because it's painful. But here's the commander-in-chief telling the American people via 60 Minutes what America would do to those evil Russians.
3: As Ukraine succeeds on the battlefield... Vladimir Mm. Putin is becoming embarrassed and pushed into a corner.
0: (laughs) That's the narrative. And
3: I wonder, Mr. President, what you would say to him if he Mm. is considering using chemical or tactical nuclear weapons? Don't. Sadly. Don't. Don't.
2: Don't do it. (laughs) It would change the face of war unlike anything since World War II.
3: And the consequences of that would be what? What would the U.S. response be?
2: Do you think I would tell you if I knew exactly what it would be? Of course I'm not going to tell you. It'll be consequential. They'll become more of a pariah in the world than they ever have been. And depending on the extent of what they do, it will determine what response would occur. I mean, yeah, don't. Don't
0: do it, Putin. Um, it would change the face of war, unlike anything since World War II, when America dropped, the only country ever to drop nuclear weapons on Japan. Mm.
1: And probably, well, I'm not sure if it was ever proven, but I'm pretty don't. sure that they use tactical nukes in Yemen. Don't, don't. Don't, man. Don't. No. Don't. Don't do it,
0: Putin. I'll open up a can of whoop <laughs> Uh Anyway, um, yeah, so that's uh, Sleepy Joe there. Telling us all what's up. by 60 minutes. Who just knows that Embarrassed, it's all going wrong. He's just—he's gonna—he's he, just in a fit of envy, at the West and anger and frustration. He's gonna push the tactical nuke button, which activates Russian cyborg soldiers to release a suitcase nuke in Kiev. And no matter how many times Biden says, "Don't, don't do it." Putin. He'll do it anyway, and then they'll change the face of war. And Biden's not sure what he'd do; he'd figure it out as he goes along. But if, if he'd yeah. go for a
1: nap first, they might. That, they might start saying that if if the Russians use more cruise missiles or something bigger, hmm. they might claim that they they use a tactical nuke. You know. Um, yeah, but th- I mean, the real, the only real nuclear scenario would be if. The Russians use it on the U.S. directly. Yeah, I
0: don't think. Things things, there's no need to use it in. No, in. not at all. Things are rocking and rolling though. Um, you see, there's an earthquake this morning in Taiwan, off the coast, just on the business southeast coast of um, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Um, rocking and rolling. There, look at that, look at those lights. Look at that Purdue. That's pretty shaky. 6.9 on director scale, and just to scroll direct, down. There's another scale. one, another one just below. Uh, <laughs> a lot of buildings, down and stuff. It's pretty bad. Like it's very, very shallow. Um, like four miles or something deep. is relatively very shallow for, shallow water. Well. Interesting. Though. It's a long yeah, long. There's a bunch more in that link we can put it. There's There's one just down a train rocking and and rolling. I'm not sure that that.
1: bridge is from this earthquake. This one is. The problem is, you see, Taiwan has had... Click on that train. Um, Six years ago in uh, 2016, 100 people were killed in a quake in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Um... In 1999, more than 2,000 people were killed by 7.3 magnitude. Right? Mm-hmm. So,
0: par for the course.
1: Par for the course, but still, yeah, you do <laughs> wonder. <laughs> you do wonder, um, about the timing—it's symbolically interesting, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. It looks like that's that's it, though. I don't. I think one building collapsed. I don't, th- I don't think it's a mass casualty event.
0: No, there wasn't a lot of people. But, I mean, it was quite a lot of destruction, though. Yeah. I mean, it's a sparsely populated area, though. Yeah, so it wasn't
1: Taipei in the right. middle. Yeah. So um, but the biggest thing... For you this week. Sleepy has Joe has got to be worried about in the United States is that awesome, awesome political stunt the governors of Florida mm. and Texas pulled. Mm. That was just glorious. Uh, sending migrants to Martha's Vineyard... Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have Hillary Clinton, and then now the whole Democratic establishment is following suit. She called it literally human trafficking. Yeah, literally. Uh, called in the National Guard, booted them next Ship day. Them boom, so, you're gone. Yep. Uh, then Abbott, governor of Texas, follows suit, sends migrants to Kamala Harris's house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that was just it's awesome, awesome stuff. I.
0: Well it's fair enough. I mean these are the people in Washington DC complaining about it all or basically opening the border to let oh, them the in the wonderful, are it's wonderful. About it. and then but then when they come to their door I mean they, they can talk all they like about you know you know we're, we're an open country, we're a country of immigrants, let them well, all in, but they're the, all coming in uh, the, into the kind of poorest regions of, of southern states in the US, you know, yeah. particularly in Texas and Brownsville and stuff. And I mean that's that's thousands, literally thousands of miles from Washington DC. Yeah.
1: The beauty of it is Martha's Vineyard and other places they declare themselves sanctuary cities. Mm. So when the southern states on Trump and his wall, as a political virtue signal against it, mm-hmm. they said, we're sanctuary cities. You're all very welcome here. Mm-hmm. But that was, just a ver- that was just for the Twitter clicks. Mm-hmm. When <laughs> DeSantis well, says, yeah. okay, I'll take you up on that, he sends 50 yeah. to them. And they're like, what? Breakout. You can't do that. This is,
0: this is outrageous. You can't, you can't <laughs> handle that many people.
1: We don't have the facilities. Yeah. So then people were showing that... Uh, I've the, only got a 12-bedroom marque- house. The marquee the Obamas had for his birthday party yeah. has right. like 500 and has people house in the there. middle of lockdown.
0: He has a house on, in, in Martha's Vineyard, Yeah, Obama. Anyway, it's all uh, farcical, and it's getting increasingly farcical, and I think it'll only get worse, you know, over the next, uh, next X number, one well, short term. The next six months it's going to get... The force is just going to go through. Uh, the force of nature is going to go through the roof. Like I mean, yeah. there's going to be s- such a gulf between what's actually happening and what you're told is happening. Uh, it'll be you got to got to keep your wits about you. And and I
1: think th- I think the European Union might actually go full fascist, like just declare the, the the pace of von der Leyen is just like declaring emergency powers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they they still technically have to get agreement from member state governments. So, for example, she declares that this winter there's going to be a fifteen percent forced ration on every household for five percent. It was reduced, was it? I heard fifteen initially, and then they come back and there's bartering, and it's not so bad in the end. You but, know, but yeah. she wants to centralise the shit out of everything. Are you know,
0: you, when you talk about symbolically, like they're going back to basically biomass, right? They're, they're trying to push a lot, of, a lot of their greening of the economy is biomass, right? Burning wood, effectively, wood pellets, right? Uh, and that's green because, well, you're cutting down trees, right? And trees sequester CO2, if that's your idea of getting rid of CO2. But then it's because, you know, we're replanting trees. And in 40 years, those trees will, you know, it's, it's green in that respect. But the problem is that um, wood is, is more polluting than coal. Right. If you go back to like, you know, hundreds of years or whatever, people were burning coal in uh, at the start of the Industrial Revolution. And before that, to heat their homes are burning coal and then they move. Or sorry, they're burning, they're burning wood. Right. They're chopping down trees, to burn wood. And then they say, listen, OK, they discover in a certain sense, coal. They start burning coal It's much more efficient, burns hotter, all that kind of stuff. Um, they move to coal and then they find oil. And, you know, and with that progression, you have a dev- the development of civilization.
1: And an increasingly greener trajectory. In, right. In theory, but they have polluted the
0: shit out of well, the, what do you, the Whatever, process, forget but about pollution, just increasing yeah. uh, uh, civilization, like, you know, the stuff of civilization, basically, yeah. the in- industry, uh, over that period, from, from wood to coal to fossil fuels. And they want to basically turn it back. Uh, to the point yeah. that today people are going back to, like, the 1600s, where in order to heat their, heat their houses... Or keep themselves warm and to cook food they're going to have to use wood firewood yeah which is like a regression we're going back to the middle ages like at least there's, there's, there's a move to effectively go back to the middle ages in terms of uh, energy production which implies because it, it's associated with the progression of civilization and industry you know the destruction of industry mm. by the same token you know
1: well speak for yourself though you peasants are going back to the medieval, yeah period. not you though the elites of which I'm member? remember, remember? <clears throat> we're taking off in our spaceships.
2: Oh, you are? Yeah. We've re- 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 re-
1: already got a beautiful planet scoped out. It's oh, all yeah? ready to go. We just need a few slaves.
0: Yeah. Maybe you could, you know, I'll put a, a word for you. No, you can all have <clears throat> fun. You and all the drag We need about people.
1: five million slaves. The rest of you can just eat gas, if you like. We don't <laughs> care. Eat firewood. Eat wood. You were asking before the show started. So, Neil, would it be food or fuel? Well, no, what, eat firewood.
0: Eat or heat, Neil. Eat or heat. Eat or heat. What's what? it going to be? Eat or heat? Eat firewood. You are going to eat firewood?
1: Well, actually, in times past, when things got really desperate, they were eating
0: grass. Yeah.
1: Medieval France. Is that grass correct? and mud? Is that is that's that, not myth. That was is that place. sustainable
0: though? Is that environmentally sustainable? Uh, no, that's
1: what happens just before mass disease and plague, okay. cholera, dysentery. I ah, know you're getting
0: you're getting depressing there. Well. Uh, don't, don't be don't be dooming. If Neil, they want to go back to the medieval
1: in. ages, you need a black death. That's what they're that's what they're gonna bring people to unless they do something to stop these shitheads from going too far.
0: Alright. On that uplifting note, all well, your doomin'. Quit your dooming, Neil. It's all gonna be fine. We're all gonna march gloriously into a new green age where everybody'll be better and happier, they'll own nothing and they'll be happy and
1: yeah, I'm and sure. Dead. Do you know what von der Leyen's <coughs> job was before she became EU, whatever her job is now? The drag queen. She was Germany's defense minister. Well, there you go. Germany doesn't have a defense ministry anymore. The army is gutted. Thanks to her.
0: All the weapons are in Ukraine. That's what
1: she does. She strips assets and <coughs> moves on upwards, <coughs> promotion.
0: It's called creative destruction. but lots heavy on the destruction part for the people and very creative for the politicians. Anyway, past two hour mark, got to go, do stuff. Um, Thanks for watching. Chop firewood. We've got to chop firewood for dinner. Uh, um, Yeah, thanks for watching, listening, commenting. Don't forget to like, smash all the buttons, etc. We'll be back next week with another show. Uh, Until then, have a good uh, week.
1: See you next week. Thanks for watching.
0: Bye.
2: Can't stop the signal now.